In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Um, today's readings are among my favorites, and I know it's going to seem redundant yet again, but today's readings are about the identity of God, and consequently our identity, which is love, right? And the church keeps on repeating this message, and Christ keeps repeating this message, because this is our constitution, right? So the readings that we have are mostly emphasized in the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is the, is the New Testament. It's the new law for us. So in the Old Testament, God took Moses on a mountain and gave him the law. In the New Testament, our Lord took the disciples and the people on the mountain and gave them the law. And we need to really understand these readings and compare them to how we are taught to live our lives today and how we live even if we weren't taught to live this way. So our Lord himself made this comparison, that's why I'm saying that, because in the Vespers Gospel, which had the same readings just for another Gospel, the Lord says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He says, you have heard, showing that he's completely aware that society functions completely differently. Right, so he's, he's saying to them, I know that what I'm going to say sounds completely messed up compared to what you're used to hearing. You're used to hearing that you should do an eye for an eye, but I'm going to correct that. So all the corrections that we see that he's going to go through are totally crazy from a worldly, secular perspective. And the world at the time of Christ was preaching what was preaching was what we do. Which we have the same expressions for an eye for an eye, even though we might not say that anymore. Now it's, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Um, every man for himself. If you're not in my way, I'm, I ain't going to stop you. Um, to each his own, right? These are the things that we say that capture the exact same spirit of the Old Testament, which was, as long as you don't stop me from doing something, I won't stop you. But if you get in my way, I'm going to take you down, right? Which is the, the corporate model of this country. Um, but the Lord takes this, this thinking, right, and he turns it upside down by saying the exact opposite. Rather than encouraging people to take their rights, he actively encourages the opposite. He is saying, give. And he's saying, give in the most ridiculous way possible. If someone wants to do evil towards you, he's saying, let him. He's saying, don't stop him. Let him, let him do this. Don't resist him. In fact, give him the other cheek. Let him slap the other one. He wants to slap one of them, allow him to slap the other one. If someone is suing you unjustly, right? When he's saying if someone sues you for your coat, if someone sues you unjustly, let him have what he wants and more, right? Don't, don't even let this become your issue. If someone asks you to go for a walk with that person and you don't want to, not only ask, not only walk what they asked you to walk, but walk double, right? If someone asks you to walk for a mile. Give, he says, and give to whoever asks you unquestioningly. And our Lord isn't asking us to do something that he himself did not already do. Because he created what he didn't have to create, right? He created knowing what it was going to cost him. He loved us when we rejected him and when we continue to reject him. He, as he said in one of the readings we read today, rains water upon the righteous and the unrighteous. 
right? He doesn't say, I'm only going to give to those people who believe in me. It's on those people who respect me, those people honor me. I will reign and send blessing upon those who believe and those who don't. He provides for beasts and animals then and now. He provides for theists and atheists. He gives us even when we neglect him or ignore him, those of us who already know him. He cares for us even when we don't care for, for him. How many of us are truly theocentric? How many of us truly do our lives actually revolve around God, honestly, right? And yet He continues to love us. How many of us are making demands of God in a horrible way all the time? I would venture to say that all of us are doing this, myself included. Most of us even have an image of Christianity that if I'm a Christian, nothing bad should ever happen to me, right? This is why many of us, the minute that something goes wrong, our whole, like... God concept comes crashing down because we thought that if we were believers of God that means somehow we were never going to have a hard time. Yet these passages make it extremely clear that that's not the case. He says when they do this to you because he talks about all the sufferings you're going to go through saying when by saying when they do this he's saying they will. They're saying that that is that is going to happen. And our Lord again practices what he preaches and has never failed to do so. And he's now calling us to rise above our humanity, to put on his godly image, the image in which we were created. So he gives us a few instructions. I'm not going to dwell on all of them because there are literally volumes and volumes on every verse of all the readings that we took today. The first was, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And many people wonder how it's possible to love someone who hates us. How is it possible to love somebody who despises me? And I think this confusion usually arises because people often confuse liking someone or something or having affection for someone with love. Love has nothing to do with that. You might also like somebody that you love, but you don't have to like somebody that you love. Love, as we're going to see with all these instructions, is self-denial. It's to say that I have the ability or possibly even the right to do something for myself, but I will deny that right or that will for the sake of something or someone else. So we see the answer to this question when people say, how do I love my enemy? God answers with the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? That is his answer, which was the best possible example because we often confuse how can I love someone who hates me, right? The Samaritans hated the Jews on principle and the Jews returned that hatred um, on principle. They were enemies de facto. By virtue of their race, they were automatically enemies. But the Samaritan, when, the, when he found this Jew broken and beaten on the side of the road, didn't stop and get to know the Jew. Right? He didn't stop and say, I'm going to decide first whether I like you. Right? And if I like you after some conversation, after I evaluate this, and then I'm going to carry you to take care of you. Right? This, is, this is what we're often confusing what love is. Whereas, no, that's liking. The Samaritan didn't like the Jew. He couldn't stand him. However, irrespective of whether he liked the Jew or not, cared for the Jew or not, he denied his rights of enmity, right? He, he denied the, 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 the war that was going on between them and took this Jewish person to be cared for. This is how we love our enemies. It's to deny ourselves and to work for those other people no matter how vile I might find that person 
as an individual. Our Lord gives us practical examples of how to do that, to love our enemies, that if we were to actually do, we would be changed people, and, and I would venture to say we would, we would also change the world. First, he says, do good to those who hate you. So he's saying this is the practical way. If you want to know how to love your enemy, he says, do good to those who hate you. So you know, for example, that your boss hates you. Actively be kind to him or her. Right? If you know that you're being picked on or being marginalized, whatever it is, go out of your way to be kind. Not because you owe it to them, not because you're sucking up, not because you're trying to win brownie points, but because you're obeying the gospel. Because you're saying, I have to return good for evil to this person. Don't scowl in that person's face. Right? Don't take every opportunity that you have to give that person a piece of your mind. Don't look for every opportunity you have to point out where they fell short of it. If they've told you where you are wrong, don't look for the opportunity to say, well, I'm going to show you where you are wrong and where you did um, X, Y, or Z. But instead, show them kindness. St. Macarius the Great, before he became a monk, was actually a priest, which is a very unusual thing back in the day, that he was a priest and then entered the monastery. And St. Macarius the Great was, a, he's known in our church as being the most compassionate. He's the image of, of, of compassion um, in the Desert Fathers. There's a young girl who fell into sin, and she slept with someone, and she got pregnant, and she wasn't married. So obviously this was scandalous. If it's scandalous in Egypt today, imagine what it was like 1,600 years ago. Um, and so she was embarrassed, and she was petrified of what was going to happen to her. So what did she do? She accused St. Macarius of being the father of her child and the person who did this. St. Macarius had every right to defend himself. He had every right to defend his dignity as a priest, his dignity as a father, right? He had every right to defend his innocence because he was innocent. He didn't speak. He took it on himself and said, clearly this person has an issue. She doesn't know how to deal with it. I will take care of this child. And so he, he put up with the insults of the whole village, right? He put up with their condemnation of him, their mockery of him, their despising him. And he worked with his hands to make money to pay for a child that wasn't his. He's sending money to this girl while she's in labor. God avenged St. Macarius in that during the labor of this, per, this person, it just wouldn't end and she's excruciating pain. And so she felt her conscience prick her that the reason for her not being able to deliver was because she had lied about this just man. And so she ended up confessing that indeed she had lied. St. Macarius's reaction is not, oh wow, I'm vindicated, right, this is great. Instead, he, he bounced. He took off. He said, I'm not going to stay here because now instead of being the local reject, I'm going to be the local hero. And any virtue that I got out of my loving my enemies, loving those who lied about me, is going to be gone. And so he took himself and left and became the father, literally, of thousands of monks um, in the eastern desert of Nitria. Even St. Moses the Black, right, whose feast day was, was, was yesterday, put up with severe hardships right, in the monastery, which they did on purpose to test him by calling him names to see would he return evil for evil. So do good to those who hate you. Neither, nothing your boss or who, insert whoever it is right, that sets themselves up as your enemy will be as bad as what happened to St. Macarius, right? So you can, you can handle 
um, a little bit of, of, of losing your, your prestige. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. So if someone wishes the worst on you, wish the best for them, is what he's saying. Okay, somebody wishes the absolute worst on you, he's saying, don't wish it back on them evil, wish on them the best thing that you could, even pray for them. Praying them, obviously, is supposed to be a positive prayer, right? You're not praying for the Lord to take revenge on them and bring them down and, and ruin their lives, right? When he's saying pray for them, he's actually saying pray for good things towards them, right? Ask the Lord to grant them success. Ask the Lord to increase their blessing. Ask the Lord to make them um, greater than where they already are. Even St. Dorotheus of Gaza says, ask their intercession in your prayers. He's saying that if somebody has bothered you, say, Lord, hear my prayer through the intercession of that person, right, who's upsetting me, right? And, our, and we read in, in, the, in the, one of the readings today, persevere in prayer, right, which means like, really put effort in prayer, not just like, yeah, yeah, Lord, help this. Help. He's like, no, persevere, right? We're praying for the, the, the rising of the waters right now, right? There's, we've switched the seasons. One of the great monks of, of Asaid, of Upper Egypt, just to understand what it means to persevere, right? He was so upset that the, the Nile wasn't rising, and that was a big problem because the farmers were going to lose their livelihood for it. It meant the people weren't going to eat. It meant devastation for everybody. So he innocently walked into the Nile to where he could handle up to his neck and had his hands elevated in prayer for three days, asking God to force the waters of the Nile to inundate, for it to flood, for the people to live. So when we say persevere in prayer, it doesn't mean spend 10 seconds in prayer or just saying a random name. No, go actively out of your way. List the people who are, who are frustrating you and bothering you and that are acting evil towards you and pray for them and actively wrestle with God for them, right? This is what we are called to do. I used to be confused by the story of St. Bishoy, right? When, he would, when it says that he tied his head, his hair to the, the ceiling um, so that he wouldn't fall asleep. I thought that was over the top, um, where I was just like, this is bizarre. Um, and I, and I, I don't think it's a good practice. But I didn't understand what he was doing. And I don't recommend you all to do it, okay? But what St. Bishoy was doing was he was used to being up all night praying. He actually enjoyed talking to his God, okay? So to him this was, it was a romance. Consider, for example, two people who are madly in love, they'll be texting till all hours of the morning knowing that they're going to regret it in the morning when they go to work because they only got an hour of sleep, right? When they're up, constantly and they there's two friends that haven't seen each other for a long time right and they stay up all night talking even though they know again they're going to regret it the next day this is what saint bishoy was doing saint bishoy wasn't saying oh holy people tie their hair up saint bishoy was saying i don't want to lose a moment that i could be with you talking i don't so he persevered in prayer he deprived himself of sleep as an act of love he said if i have the right to sleep i'm giving it up because i want to give Right? This gospel is about giving. I want to give something up, including my sleep, to show somebody that I care for them. By talking to God, just as God, and by praying for all of the people that he had encountered, regardless of what state that they were in. Our Lord prayed for people during his own murder. Right? While fixated upon the cross, being murdered, 
by the very people that he was there to save, he lifted up his hands literally and asked the Lord to forgive those who are in front of him. That even in his moment of ultimate pain and weakness and shame, that the, um, a moment of, of hatred, our Lord was praying for those who were hurting him. He even justified the people for their ignorance. Right? He said, Lord, forgive them. And he didn't just leave it at that. He said, they don't know. They don't understand. Right? He even defended them in that moment where he was being hurt. And so we are called to do the same. Right? Is to not only pray for those, but even to justify them. Right? To give excuses for the person that I feel is wronging me. Of saying, I'm not going to just let myself fall in it. Maybe they're going through this. Maybe they're having a hard time. Maybe they're going through all sorts of frustrations. Maybe this person is having major problems at home and they're letting out their anger at me at school or at work or wherever it is. Maybe this person just lost somebody and they don't know how to deal with their grief. Maybe this person's parents treated them so badly that their only solution is to be sarcastic all the time and I'm receiving this at their hands. Is to make an excuse for people regardless of what they do. Don't look for your right to curse back. To love is to deny, to deny your right to curse back and instead offer the perfection of what our Lord said to bless others wishing well upon them. If you have a spirit of wishing well for others, you will be more content in general because you'll be happy that other people are happy, right? So it'll, it'll bring you joy just to know that other people have it good. Instead of looking at them and wishing you had what they had, of wishing well on others, then you're going to feel like your, your wishes came true, <laughs> that somebody else is actually getting something that they wanted, not just yourself, right? Wishing well for others. Deny your right to retaliate. Our Lord says, the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. If someone takes away your cloak, do not refuse your coat also. In the verb in this last one is take, suggesting that someone is taking it forcefully. He didn't ask you for it, right? He's simply just taking it. It's not because you were generous, right? It wasn't because you said, oh, this guy needs a coat, I'll give it to him. No, some guy walks up to you and literally just takes it from you um, by violence. Here our Lord is telling us don't have revenge. Do you look to get back at people who wrong you? If someone speaks behind your back, do you go out of your way to expose them? Or to go and tell the whole world what you know about the person who spoke about you? If someone sues you, sues you do you use your rights to sue them back? Or do you detach yourself and let them take what they want? The natural law, the natural law says, take your rights. The divine law says, lay them down, right? This is at complete odds with each other. That's why our Lord is saying, I know what they say, but I'm telling you the opposite. I'm telling you what it should be. Do you have a spirit of, well, this person treated me in such and such way and I will go and treat them like that? Or do you have a spirit of acceptance of allowing yourself to be mistreated in the name of Christ? If you are doing so, then you are in the image and likeness of God. But if you are not, you are the exact same as the striker because you only want your rights, meaning you live only for yourself, meaning you don't love, right? People don't understand why an eye for an eye isn't love because an eye for an eye means that I'm still looking for me, right? I'm simply saying whatever suits me, which means that I'm self-fulfilling, I'm self-gratifying, which is the exact opposite of love.
love is to self-deny. And that's why it's not acceptable for me to stop at that point. So if I look to get revenge, I don't have um, any love. Give to anyone who asks you, and if someone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Lend expecting nothing back. Now he's saying forget now only when it's taken by force. Okay, so there's a situation where someone like grabbed it from you. But now he's saying if someone asked to borrow something, don't ask for it back. Right? This one is really hard. And for me, especially with my, with my books, I'm never good about not taking my books back from somebody. Um, if someone asks you for something, let them have it and don't think about it. Get rid of the concept of yours and mine, is what he's saying. And deny your rights own property, because the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. Nothing's really yours. St. Moses the Black, right, was converted by the monk giving him what he was trying to take by force, right? It confused him monumentally, right? Where he's going to rob a monk, and the monk is like, oh, here, let me help you, right? Let me pack your camel for you with my stuff, right? He gave him that, and that completely, like, threw St. Moses off, right? Where this was not the usual reception he was used to having. He was used to people running, screaming, flying, right? Like, as fast as they could, as far as away from them that they could. And here he encountered somebody... Um, that was doing the opposite. I remember if I said that a monk had a, a beautiful cross in the monastery, I had to, had to learn how to stop abusing um, <laughs> this aspect of monastic culture. When I would go to the monastery, I'd be like, oh, wonder that's a beautiful cross. I'd go take it immediately. Right? I didn't even ask for it. It would be shoved in my pocket, or I'd find it in my cell, or I'd find it at my door, right? just because I said that, um, that I liked something, which was convenient sometimes. Um, even this last trip, I told uh, a monk that he had a beautiful sadra, and I didn't want it. I'm not even into these things very much, right? I found on my last day, he came to me with a bag, right, of his first sadra that he ever got after his ordination as a priest 20-something years ago that had deep sentimental value to him, right? Obviously, to me, to receive something like that, suddenly this sadra has monumental worth, right? Is because somebody gave me something that I didn't need to give. This is what the gospel is saying, right? It's saying, give, don't even think, right? If somebody asks to borrow, just let them have it, right? Let them feel the joy of receiving, right? And then the immediate impulse reaction from any of us was that I have to give. Because if somebody gave me, I'm going to feel really badly now when I say no, right? If somebody turns around and says, can I have this? And I say no, right? And I just received something it doesn't work. What an impact this has on people, not because of getting something, but because it runs contrary to our selfishness, right? My receiving made me feel guilty about how selfish that I know that I am, right? Because I knew that that wouldn't have been my response. My response would not have been, let me get you my most treasured one and give it to you. My response at best would be, let me find the extra leftover one that someone gave me that I don't care about, and you can have that one and feel happy that I gave you something. Right? But giving from our bounty is completely different. Whoever compels you to walk with them one mile, walk two. Someone is asking you to give them your time and your attention. If you can do it, do it. Right? Do it generously if you are able to do it. If a person has asked you to go for a walk because it's because he needs to talk, right? Or he needs companionship, or he needs a listening ear, right? This is why he's asking you. 
right? So if you're able to give it, then then give it. Maybe he just needs to fuss fuss, right? He just needs to let out something, right? Let him, right? Let the person talk. That's all that they want. They're not asking you to solve their problems. They're just asking you to listen to them. So listen, right? It hasn't cost you anything. How many times have you wished for a listening ear and not found one? How many times have you wished somebody would sympathize with you and not found somebody? Are you selective with who you spend your time with? And if yes, why? And if the answer is a selfish one, self-reflect and fix it. And I think we're all guilty of this. Perhaps this is someone at work you ignore. Maybe it's someone in the parish or the community. Perhaps it's a family member. Maybe it's the beggar on the street. I once met a beggar in downtown Los Angeles. I was supposed to be giving a talk at UCLA who stopped me and talked non-stop for about 40 minutes before I told him that I actually really had to go for the talk. And he had started the talk by saying, I'm a Christian, as though that was going to like influence whether I gave him money or not. Halfway through his conversation, when I also made it clear that I couldn't care less whether he was a Christian or not, he said, by the way, I lied, I'm not a Christian. I'm actually an atheist, but I figured that if I told you I was a Christian, you might talk to me. Right? It wasn't even about the money. He goes, I just want to talk to somebody, and I figured if I told you that I believed that you would spend time with me. Right? That's how desperate he was for someone to just listen. Right? Is that he felt the need to pretend he believed in God just so that somebody would give him the time of day. Right? These are the people that Christ is saying, walk with them, talk with them, right? listen to them. That's all that they want. Deny your right to your own time. Right, is what he's saying. Give even your own time. Let your, your time, your ears, your compassion, not only be for yourself, but for others. Then our Lord gives the positive instructions, and I won't go through each one, because it would be its own sermon, about things that, we, that, even, that aren't even our right, but he promises certain things if we follow them. Right? He commands us to be merciful, right? to deny our rights to revenge. He says, don't judge. He says, do not condemn. He says, to set free. I wonder how many people hearing the list, instead of thinking of themselves, were thinking of other people who do these things wrong. Most of us will, will even think of, where is somebody else not doing this thing, right? He's saying this, but imagine he did this to me. Or, yeah, I should do this, but you know, my insert friend, family relationship, where they fell short. But our Lord is asking us personally for us not to do that. And if we say, you know, you do that, then we're judging, right? Where it said, don't judge, we've already committed the sin of judgment. So our Lord is saying, deny yourself so much and be inhumanly generous, not just in your material things, but in the psychological and in the spiritual, to have mercy on everyone. If someone wrongs you, forgive them right away. Don't wait, okay? This is something, a big disease in humanity. If someone asks for your forgiveness, forgive them. Right? You can have all the discussions you want about how to fix this, how it should be. But if someone asks for forgiveness, we should never withhold forgiveness. Don't wait. Don't judge people. Don't decide that somebody is evil or good. But treat every person as a child of God. Do not condemn anyone and tell people that they're doomed or that they've ruined their lives. That's not for you to dole out. Actively refrain from these. There's a famous story of a monk who on his deathbed, they're like, oh Abba, like, are you worried? Are you afraid? Like, what is your feeling? And he was like, no, I'm going to heaven. Um, and so 
and especially in the monastic culture, you should never have confidence about salvation. And so they thought Bikharraf, right? He's he's lost it, right? That on his deathbed, he is like overly righteous in himself and thinks that he is great. And he's like, no, I'm I'm quite confident that I'm going to heaven. And they're like, how are you so confident that you're going to heaven? He goes, because I didn't judge. He goes, Christ said, judge not and you'll not be judged. I have made a point throughout my life that I have never, ever in my life cast judgment on anybody. And I'm confident that the Lord will keep his promise that he said, if I don't judge that I won't be judged. And I haven't judged. Right? This, this one verse became his salvation. Right? Just, just uh, living um, this one verse became his salvation. I won't dwell longer, so don't take more of your time, I'm sorry. But here's the exercise for everyone this week. There's two. One, think of who you are upset with right now for something you feel that they did to you, a family member, a friend, me, anyone, okay? And forgive them. Actively forgive them. Go to them, not just mentally, okay? Not just in your head, say, I forgive them. No. Go to them physically and say, I forgive you. Okay, and let it be the end of whatever the issue is. Do this act of mercy, no matter whether the person was right or wrong. Regardless of whether the person, in your view, is entitled or not entitled to forgiveness. Because the whole point is that it isn't your right. Right? We're commanded to forgive. And the second exercise is to put yourself on check majorly. Every day, keep a log of how many times you got angry. How many times you had any negative emotion and ask yourself whether you denied your rights in that situation or if you are demanding your rights. Because the reason for you being angry or upset or whatever negative emotion is probably because you are putting your rights above other people. Right? Which is the whole point of, of, of the Sermon of Our Lords. is to say, deny yourself in those things. Because what you will find, hopefully, is that a person who is full of love has no demands. A person who has no demands is not looking for anything from anyone. And the consequence is that person is a free person. That person is a liberated person. Because they don't need anything. And they don't even demand the things that are, they are due. They are not bound to anyone or anything because they have no expectations of anyone or anything. These people are the most peaceful on earth. These are the ones who find mercy with God and don't find His judgment. And as our Lord promised that if we give, the same will be given back to us. And not just what we received, but with overflowing abundance. May the Lord grant back to you the measure with which you measure. May the glory be to our God forever and ever and to the age of all ages. Amen.